And welcome to, yeah, episode three of Deviant Women. Do you know what I just realised? What? That the last two podcasts we've done, we've started with me going, hooray! <laughs> I should maybe not do that so much anymore. You can do whatever you want. Can I? Okay, great. Can Showcases I just... your personality. Oh, that's good. That's fine. I'd just like to point out our jingle. How oh, good yeah. is our jingle? I know! Can I thank one of my greatest and oldest friends, India Hui, who's fabulous. She wrote our jingle. It's that's pretty, pretty good. good. I was thinking there's like a real... Blackadder element to that jingle. Yeah. It sounds like, like that's what I was thinking. I was like, it gives me a real Blackadder vibe. It's got some gravitas. Yes, it does. But it's also got some 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 dry humour in there. I, I think, think so, yeah. Maybe when we get further down the track, um, we can talk about Blackadder more. Maybe we can talk about Miranda Richardson in some way. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Is she, is she deviant? Poor Miranda Richardson. Probably. I don't know. Probably I'm sure not. we can dig something Queenie. Up. We'll just talk about Queenie. Mm, we can, we yeah. can do that. All right, we should yeah. stop talking about Blackadder, though, and move on to what this week's podcast is going to be. Um, before we move on to what this week's podcast is, though, I think we should just quickly let everybody know that this week's drink is... Oh, this week's drink is Bailey's on Bailey's Ice. Bailey's on Ice. Um, we're both swirling our drinks, but our ice has melted so much that you can't hear it in the glass. Um, Alicia has a much fancier goblet than me. It's enormous. It's an enormous goblet. It's got a huge blue stem. It was a freebie when we bought some Bombay Sapphire Gin. I normally don't like freebies, but no. I took this one begrudgingly. So that's what we're drinking. That's what we're doing. More as importantly, we talk about who are we talking about. More importantly, okay. So this character, okay, we've done two historical women. We have very interesting, yep. very subversive yep. women. Floco and Izzy, Izzy, Floco and Izzy. Izzy. This time we're moving into the realms of fiction. Mm. Sorry, I was drinking my drink. <laughs> um, we are moving into the realms of fiction, but one thing that we are we're still continuing to do is we're staying very much in a similar time period. We are actually, are we? I didn't the, even think of that yeah, because it's so normal to me and to be in this period. Yeah, the 1800s um, seem to be a theme yeah. with us at the moment. I think that's because there were a lot of restrictions on gender identity back then, and yeah. so there's many different ways that one can subvert those. Yes, interesting. However... This week we will differ a little because mm-hmm. uh, the fictional character that we're talking about does get a revision yeah. in the early 20th century. She did. She so, sure did. Not in the early 20th century. It was in 1960. Well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Mid. Fine. All right. Let's call fine. it the mid. Whatever. Anyway, we haven't told anyone who it is. So she goes by two names. She certainly does. The most uh, common name I think that we'll all um, be aware of is Bertha. Bertha. And actually, there's two versions of her name, Bertha, because there's Bertha Mason and Bertha Rochester. So if uh, that didn't give it away yet, Rochester might. So (laughs) we're talking about Jane Eyre, written by Charlotte Bronte. Yeah. We're talking about the mad woman in the attic. Exactly. So spoilers, if you haven't read Jane Eyre. Yeah, don't listen to this. Don't listen to this. Yeah, because we're going to spoil it for you. you If you also... Can you claim spoilers on a book that's 150 years old? I su- yeah, you can. I suppose. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't think Maybe the not. rules are the same. Maybe not. Maybe it's like that thing where people went to see Romeo and Juliet when Baz Luhrmann did that version of Romeo and Juliet. And people there were, were like spoiler alerts? Yeah, and people were like, Romeo don't tell me that they die in the end. And it was like, come on, people, seriously. Fuck off. Let's all nah, just. fuck off. But anyway, spoiler alert. So Jane Eyre is obviously quite a famous canonical... I was going to say canonical. Ah, I got to it first. Canonical novel. And Bertha plays actually quite a small role in Jane Eyre in terms of, let's say, the the screen time she gets. She doesn't get much. She doesn't get much screen time. However, she is incredibly important Mm -hmm. to some of the novels. plot twists yeah particularly i mean she's really central to the novel's gothic elements particularly absolutely mm. um so if you're unaware of jane Eyre, what <laughs> do we give it 
I guess we are like a, like a sentencey summary, like a really brief summary. Because let's be honest, if you don't know Jane Eyre, then why are you here? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> why? Why? Go somewhere else. Sorry, that's elitist. But it is also, just so elitist. Not really. Stop it. Read Jane Eyre. Stop it. Just read Jane Eyre. Not everybody has read Jane Eyre. I feel like they should have. They should have, but they haven't. You don't have to even love Jane Eyre. It's, it's flawed. But oh, it's so flawed, but also so awesome. Incredibly interesting book and a lot to pull apart. So Bertha um, as a character, well, okay. So Jane obviously is the novel's protagonist. Yeah. That's why it's called Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. Not called Bertha Mason or Bertha Rochester. No. Which would be a different novel. And is a different novel. And is a different novel that we will we'll discuss soon. And obviously the novel follows Jane's life. It's told from the point of view of Jane. It is a Bildungsroman. It is. It's a coming of age novel. For those who don't speak German. Um. Or literary <laughs> yeah, speak. that's right. And Jane goes and becomes, uh, she grows up, there's some growing up that happens. <laughs> and then um, she becomes a gov- governess in the house of Edward Rochester. Thornfield Manor. Thornfield Manor. And Edward Rochester is a bit of a strange enigma of a man to begin with. He is. He's got that Byronic, like, Byronic. Yeah. I know. It's funny because people tend to have this really romantic idea of Edward Rochester as this Byronic hero who's so, like, mysterious and sexy. He's a douche. He's a fucking douchebag. Yeah, he's such a douchebag. He's a Heathcliff. He's horrible. A douche. But again, everybody romanticizes Heathcliff That's what I mean. Yeah, like... Women yeah, are absolutely. tortured. I know. Are these what we have these to do? These are bad to? role models, they ladies. Are, yeah, they're bad boys. They're bad sexy boys. bad boys. Well, Except okay, that that's Rochester the is actually described as quite an unattractive man in the novel. He is. Which is yeah. But anyway, the point of the story that I'm trying to tell, mm. um, the, Lauren, sentence, the, the sentence, sentence narrative, is that when, uh, when Jane goes to live in the house of Rochester, when she goes to live in Thornfield, there are strange... Uh, noises of strange occurrences there's some banging there's some like mysterious laughter echoing down the hall there's locks turning in keys she doesn't know where these sounds are coming from there's small fires that are lit lots of fires what is that about so many fires we'll find out what that's about and the spoiler alert here is that of course it turns out to be rochester's wife his fucking wife his wife that he's locked in the goddamn attic Bigamy is such an ugly word. <laughs> I believe are some of Mr. Rochester's own words. Verbatim from Rochester. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. So he has Bertha, his um, first wife, locked in the attic, and he endeavours to go ahead and marry Jane all yeah. the same. And Jane is rightfully really pissed off when she finds... So, again, for those of you who don't know and don't care about spoilers, Jane finds out about Bertha at a pretty inopportune moment. She's at the altar... <laughs> yeah. Guy bursts through the church doors. This marriage cannot go on. That's not verbatim. I made that up. No. <laughs> but that's essentially what he says. Yeah. Um, so inopportune. <laughs> so they she's about to marry Literally him. about to. It's very good timing. Yep. Not deus ex machina at all. No. And but then, yeah, that, that novel totally doesn't have any problems with no that. There's no There's no other moments in that moment. novel where that happens. And at that point, Jane is actually taken back to Thornfield and introduced to Bertha. And this is the first sort of full description that we get of Bertha. Alicia, I have the description that we have. You do not. I have it on hand, ready to go. Serious. Wow. How unexpected. So they come up to, they climb up all the stairs. Rochester's leading the party. Big gothic manor. Big, oh man, so gothic. It's got all the gothic trappings. Um, <clears throat> so Grace Poole is a servant in the house and she like lets them in. So this is from the book. Shall I? Yeah, please do. All right. I'm waiting. He lifted the hangings from the wall, uncovering the second door. This too, he opened in a room without a window. There burnt a fire guarded by a high and strong fender and a lamp suspended from the ceiling by a chain. Grace, Grace Poole bent over the fire, apparently cooking something in a saucepan. In the deep shade, at the farther end of the room, a figure ran backwards and forwards. What it was, whether beast or human being, one could not, at first sight, tell. It groveled, seemingly on all fours. It snatched and growled like some strange wild animal, but it was covered with clothing and a quantity of dark, grizzled hair, wild as a mane, hid its head and face. Mm. Ah, So this is the first proper description we're given of Bertha. And uh, she's 
given to us in terms of dehumanized, oh, so much animalistic. Yeah. I mean, if we look at just that one passage, she's beast. She's snatching and growling on all fours. She's wild animal, grizzled hair. There's a mane. Like these are all very animalistic yeah. terms. And she's an it. An itch, yeah. She's does she doesn't even get the pronoun she. No, she's an itch. Yeah. So, why have we chosen her as a deviant woman? Oh well, I mean, <laughs> Bertha is just like so much an epitome of oh, very very complicated aspects of femaleness yeah. in the nineteenth century. Absolutely. And I think that the thing that's really deviant about Bertha is again not necessarily her representation in Jane Eyre because this is a kind of a problematic representation. Yeah, you don't say. Yeah. Charlotte Bronte gives us this monster, but she doesn't subvert the monster. Yeah. You know, she is actually just a monster. Mm -hmm. We get little hints about why she's become this way. We get little tastes of what her journey has been and um, the complexes and nuances of that journey. But I think that a lot of what we read into that comes from a very contemporary lens. Yeah, absolutely. In the sense of understanding how you are made insane. So, yeah, I mean, she's called the Mad Woman in the Attic. Um, we are led to believe that she is insane and mm -hmm. she's been locked in the attic, apparently, according to Rochester, for her own good. That's right. Yeah. But the reason... Because that's what you do with insane people. Oh, yeah. You lock them in an attic. You don't seek proper help for them. Totally for it's their fine. own good. That's and really and think about how that room is described. Yes. Behind a hanging on the wall, it's it's in the attic. It's a small yeah. enclosed space. There's no light. Yeah. There's chains. Yeah. There's fucking chains there's in the chains. room. Oh, there's chains. Like yeah. this is like this is you know peak gothic yeah. imagery of the period. And Bertha's representation, I'm pretty sure from Charlotte Bronte's perspective, was supposed to be a monster. She was supposed to be the object that was coming in between Jane and Rochester's romantic. Yes. Relationship. She was the catalyst for Jane going off to find herself before she could come back to Rochester. But I think she's really only supposed to be a pawn. But, all right, I, I would like to challenge that. Because sure. I think she also, there's a way of reading her as well, as a bit of a parallel or a bit of a mirror image of, oh, yeah. of Jane too. So rather than just being the straight up monster, mm. Um, mm. there's also an element to her that serves as... Uh, a warning, but also kind of as a bit of a binary. Let's, oh, for sure. Let's use the term binary. That's a word. I completely, uses. I completely agree with you. I think that there's absolutely yeah. this binary of angelic femininity and monstrous yeah. femininity going on here. But at the same time, uh oh, this is one of those people where we're just going to want to talk over the top of each other <laughs> all the time. I'm pausing. Okay, but at the same time, that insanity, that reason of insanity that's given for locking her up also gives Jane pause to have sympathy yes. for her Oh, as yeah, well. she is still depicted as being a sympathetic creature. Jane a sympathetic creature, a sympathetic other. That's right. A sympathetic creature. Jane doesn't have a hell of a lot of sympathy for her. Like, I mean, Jane gets over it pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> Surprisingly quickly, yeah, like, really. You know, she doesn't really Although, okay, to problem. be fair, she wanders the moors for a long time and nearly dies. Well, it's a couple of days. Really. But she's, yeah. Anyway. She's yeah. like emaciated. She's like, oh, woe is me. Yeah. But, the, but it's the, the woe is me. Like she's in the moors for the woe is me. She's not in the moors for the woe is Bertha. No, she's not. But um, she does make a comment somewhere along the way <laughs> about how Bertha's insanity is not Bertha's fault. Yeah. She does actually yeah. make a comment about how she can't help it if she's mad. Yeah. And this is the thing that I wonder, because I don't know, and we can't assume anything. We can't know what Charlotte Bronte was trying to do with her depiction of, mm. with, with, of Bertha. Um, just taking it back a step, there are like some scholars who say that Bertha is the dark double yes. of Jane. Correct. And there's a lot of reason for thinking this. Bertha in many ways mirrors Jane's progress and she also um, serves as a cautionary tale for Jane as well. That's right. And then a very self-aware cautionary tale because she does a lot of stuff to warn Jane about perhaps potentially you know her acts so when we were talking about the fact that she's creeping in the hallways and she's setting fires to stuff like they they are all i think attempts to warn jane they could be seen as attempts to like scare off jane it's yeah. like no rochester's mine bitch get away yeah. but i think that they're really like the, the symbolism of tearing up her veil 
um, setting fire to the marriage bed. I think that those are pretty potent symbols That's of right. like yeah. warning. Yeah. So we should. So yeah. In context, before the non-marriage that doesn't go through takes place, there is a scene where Bertha comes into the bedroom at night and tears up Jane's wedding veil. Yeah, the night before the wedding. Yeah. She tears up the veil. So that could definitely be seen as some kind of portent. I think. Yeah. yeah, I I think think one could say. Yeah. 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 Mm. So there, I think there is definitely a dark doubling there. She Mm. does in a way act as, as a warning for Jane. My point, sorry. I'm just returning to to what I was thinking about earlier. And that is that I wonder how much of this was intentional on Charlotte Bronte's behalf. Mm. Like, did she write Bertha to be Jane's dark double? Or from a contemporary feminist psychoanalytical perspective, do we re-examine Bertha as Jane's dark double? Yeah. Because that's the thing about psychoanalysis is that like, you know, the whole idea that this kind of symbolism is just already there and it just comes out. Yeah. And the author may not be aware of the way that that because you're 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 working with your cultural symbols and Mm. um, your understandings of the world in ways that you're maybe not necessarily like consciously aware of. Yeah, I think that we probably do read into it now. And I think that to to Bronte's audience Bertha's depiction wouldn't have been as important as the romance plotline. No, that's right. Yeah, and it does take a backseat in Jane Eyre. Yeah, um, it definitely does. And it's Bertha's character is even if she was intended to be some kind of dark doubling, it is not um, explored in any particular way that um, highlights that. No, in the novel, it's no. it's it's not actually a key part of the novel. It's not something that it's definitely something that we can pick up on now and we yeah. can read into. But it's not an overt sort of thing. So with that in mind and having chatted just a little bit about Bertha in Jane Eyre, I think it's important to maybe now just move ahead a little bit. Yeah, let's introduce second Bertha. And introduce second Bertha. So second Bertha is not called Bertha to begin with. She's actually called Antoinette. Mm -hmm. And Antoinette... And once again, she has two names. She does. So she's Antoinette Cosway. And Antoinette mason and antoinette mason and then antoinette rochester yeah yes. and then bertha rochester so many names she's five names she's the fourth <laughs> thing and no wonder she goes crazy so um this is a version of bertha that comes back wow like a hundred and god maths again it's like 110 years 110 after 120 years, years after later yeah we have uh the novelist jean reese yeah who thinks to herself hey this Bertha character she's pretty interesting Mm. um let's address her and she writes a novel for Bertha told predominantly from uh Bertha's point of view and we we should just say this novel is Wide Sargasso Sargasso Sea in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about if you haven't heard of it it's definitely the book to read after reading Jane Eyre and so she comes around and decides that she wants to readdress and reassess yeah. this character. And in a very intentionally feminist revisionist way. Like Absolutely. That's her yeah. goal is yeah. feminist revisionist fiction. Yeah. So we talk about Jane Eyre, like just naturally we talk about Jane Eyre in a feminist revisionist kind of yeah. sense. But Jean Reese was definitely, that was her, her intention. And an important thing to note about uh, Bertha in Jane Eyre is that information we are given about her uh, about her background is that uh, Rochester has married her for money mm-hmm. um, is the sole reason and he's married her in Jamaica yeah and brought her back to England so and also so Rochester is the second son he's not the one who's supposed to inherit and so his marriage to Bertha is kind of dictated by his father who wants to make sure that he's going to have the the, the wealth and prosperity mm-hmm. that a man of his station should yeah. have yeah but that he won't come into via inheritance yeah. except in his... that he does because his older brother dies his brother dies but anyway <laughs> and he just ends up with us he just gets woman. all the shits yeah all the shits all, whatever whatever yeah that <laughs> sure we can call wealth shits let's do that <laughs> it's all the shits it's all the shits so he marries her in jamaica and she is creole mm. so another important fact here in terms of this idea of the dark doubling oh yeah is this that is, yeah. she is unlike jane she is not a pure 
English stock. No. She's, and it's and she's also relatively ambiguous in terms of her kind of background. That's as well. right, in Jane Eyre. Yeah. She's really just described as being dark. That's but right. whether dark means because Creole it's the term Creole itself is ambiguous. It could be a white English person who was born in Jamaica but has a white heritage, or it could be mixed race a mixed race person who's born born in the West Indies as well. Yeah, and so it also doesn't necessarily even mean of European descent. It can also no. be applied to of African descent yep. as well. Yeah. So she she's other. We use this term other because it basically sets her apart from the norm, from the standard. Yeah, in, the, in the English heteronormative, world. patriarchal, aristocratic, like white, white Christian. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. so Jean Reese um, herself was Creole too. Yeah. So that's why it became so important to her to sort of address this mm-hmm. um, animal-like way that Bertha is described yeah. in, in Jane Eyre. So we have two versions of her. We've got the Bertha of Jane Eyre, but we also have the Antoinette, as she is originally called in Wide Sag Associate. So we have these two versions mm-hmm. of the same character. And so I guess coming back to this idea of what makes Bertha slash Antoinette deviant, like why is she the subject of our podcast? Why is she the subject of Jean Reese's book? Why is the mad woman in the attic the term that has become the term that's used to discuss these kinds of figures in mm. um, literature. Mm. So <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Sounds good. Kind of trying to, I was kind of trying to bring this all together. So basically, I think what a really interesting question to ask here is to the extent to which Bertha slash Antoinette is actually insane, the extent to which she is actually monstrous, mm. um, how much agency she has, yeah. how much power she has or doesn't have. Those are the interesting questions that keep bringing people back to this character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so in Jane Eyre, as we mentioned before, it's not so much about agency in terms of her position in terms of, I mean, like how much agency do you have when you're locked in an attic? But the book hinges on Bertha's actions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... All of the major turning points in Jane's life at Thornfield kind of come down to Bertha's actions. That's right. And how this links in as well to Whiteside SOC is that uh, Whiteside SOC actually takes place predominantly in Jamaica. Yeah. And it is... It's like a prequel, really. It's a prequel, yeah. Because it's it's about the, to begin with, the sort of courtship, I guess. Mm. Um, and the, the early marriage. And the early, early marriage. And the early relationship between Antoinette and Rochester. And then um, we kind of segue in the middle of the book. Jean Reese gives us Rochester's point of view. And yeah. we switch into his narrative. Which I think also, this is a point I wanted to, to bring up earlier, is that in just thinking about voice here, right, and depictions of Bertha, is that in Jane Eyre, most of what we know, what we learn about Bertha is told to Jane by Rochester. Yeah. So that's all these points of disconnect. Yeah. So that passage that I read is really the only first-hand account that Jane has of Bertha herself. That's right. Yeah. So it's important that White Sack SOC has a voice of Antoinette. That's right. And Rochester as well. Yeah. So we get Antoinette's first-hand yeah. recount of her life and her experience. And to begin with, she's a, a fairly normalish kind of girl for yeah, the time period. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And she ends up um, Well, I guess going so her, her family history actually is quite important because this is quite important in Jane Eyre as well. So one of the things that, that Rochester reveals about Bertha in Jane Eyre, one of his justifications for locking her in the attic and, and deeming her insane is that her mother was insane. That's right. So he knows that her mother was insane and that she drank a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a younger brother who was mentally disabled. Yep. Um, so Bertha is kind of seen as having this family lineage yeah. and of insanity. Ins- and insanity is hereditary yep. in this idea. This idea that is that it's hereditary. Yeah, that but it's- also that – and it's not even that it's just like biologically hereditary, but also that she's kind of – there's also kind of – She's complicit in her own insanity. Like, Rochester kind of implies that it's her own fault. Yeah, that's right. For following in the footsteps of her mother. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's both. He gives her. He's like both. Oh, it's not her fault because it's hereditary, but it's also her fault that it's hereditary. Yeah, like, yeah, it's. Fucked. And also that not only is this sort of insanity hereditary, but it's also a condition of her race. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So it's this idea that because she's of mixed race and from mixed background, hot blooded, she's hot fiery and she's, rebellious. That's right. And absolutely. Passionate. Yeah. yeah. And so there's unlike pure virginal, mm-hmm. wonderful, perfectly sane Jane. white women. Yeah, that's right. Embodied in Jane. (laughs) And so in White Sag, as we see, we we do get Rochester's narration for the sort of central part of the book. But then we do come back again to Antoinette at the very end of the book. And by this point in the book, we've moved to England and we've moved to the Mm. attic. And we should, I'm just thinking we're quite far into this episode and we haven't really said what her story is. Should we pause there? Okay. Yep. narrate what is what is Antoinette's story. Yeah. And then we'll come back to this. The White Sack SEC version. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because so, she doesn't really have a story in Jane Eyre except for that, which we've already no, kind of not revealed. At all. So, so um, her story takes place after the emancipation of the slaves in mm-hmm. Jamaica as well. Her family, having previously owned basically a plantation where they had slaves, they're now in this sort of precarious position where they're now the pariahs of society. Mm, And mm. eventually, okay, so Antoinette's mother, Annette, who's the instiller of all the craziness, Mm. um, she's quite a sad figure. Oh, yeah, she's quite, yeah, tragic, I guess. Because Antoinette's father, Mr. Cosway, he dies, right? Yes, he does, yeah. And so she remarries Mr. Mason. Correct, yeah. Um, So, and with Mr. Mason comes a stepbrother for... Antoinette as well. Yeah. And living, still living together in um, this big old rambling plantation house. Calubri. And eventually what happens is that there's... A terribly foreshadowing momentous occasion. In a, which... terribly, <laughs> a terribly foreshadowing momentous occasion, um, which will lead us again eventually back to Jane Eyre. And Thornfield. And... Um, some of the locals come around and basically set fire to the house. Yeah, dear old Colubri on fire. Yep. And the bird. Oh, yeah, there's some wonderful the imagery. Coco. Coco with his clipped wings. Clipped um, wings. And because his Falling. wings. Falling. Because his wings are clipped, <laughs> he gets poor thing on fire. He can't fly away. So he just falls. So he just falls to the ground yeah. in flames. Very foreshadowing, symbolic just, image. Yeah, it's horrendous. <laughs> and so after this incident, Annette, not Antoinette, but Annette, Annette her mother. Yeah. Basically, and, and during this because incident, her brother, her brother also dies. Yeah, I was going to say her brother, the, the mentally disabled brother. brother yeah. dies. And now Annette basically um, loses all grasp on yeah. sanity. And Antoinette uh, lives with her aunt for a brief period of time mm. and then has to be sent away to a convent. Yeah. Which again, kind of, so her journey does actually kind of parallel Jane Eyre's in a lot of this kind of way in that she's come from this family. Well, she loses her family very young, sent away to school. Yeah, because, (laughs) yeah, well, because Jane, in Jane's story, Jane also, she's an orphan basically Mm -hmm. and she lives with her aunt, but her aunt's Mm -hmm. a bitch. And Fucking then bitch, she's, Reed. that's right. And then she's sent away to um, Lowood School for Girls. Yeah. So this kind of parallels Antoinette being sent away, which to is the again convent. comes back to this whole idea of the dark doubling. Absolutely. Which Jean Reese plays on. Oh, hell for sure. Like, like this if, is... if we're not sure whether Charlotte Bronte was like playing with the dark double on purpose or not, I think we can say that Jean Reese. We can safely say that probably Jean is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jean Reese is paralleling Jane's life here. Um, and kind of coming up with a story for Antoinette that we, that we're not privy to in in Jane Eyre by paralleling it mm. to Jane's own story, and then basically while she's in the convent, her marriage to Rochester is arranged by Mister Mason, yeah. who is her stepfather. Yeah, and then this is kind of where we leave Antoinette's uh, first person narration in the novel. This is where we leave her telling us the story, mm, and where switch we switch over to pick Rochester. Up with Rochester. And Who's unnamed in the novel? He is. He he doesn't. He's never called Rochester or Edward, but you know, a privy reader. We don't. Yeah, that's right. A privy reader. A, whatever. That sounds like a thing. That's not what I meant. Um, it's Rochester. <laughs> okay, so let's just go with that. It's Rochester. Yeah. Um, and he is still a douche. He's a fucking douche. He's such a douche. Uh, so Jane Reese hasn't decided to rewrite him as anything. 
but (laughs) which is fine i think and this is where we start to see the metamorphosis into Mm. the bertha of jane yes because this this section really i think highlights those questions of power the questions of acceptable femininity, mm-hmm. all those racial tensions, the othering, yeah. like Rochester's point of view, kind of, he is straight white male. Yeah. You know, he is colonial English power who comes to this place that he doesn't understand. It's hot and it's exotic and it's colorful. Yeah. And he doesn't, he just does not get it. He doesn't feel like he fits in at all. And then he is married. Stabilizes him entirely. Completely. Yeah. And then he's married to this woman who embodies so much of this environment as well. She is also very colorful and very vibrant and very passionate and and different. She's not like those, you know, plain old Janes at home. And it confuses him. And however, it confuses him. Yeah, sure, it confuses him. However, in the beginning, there's a lot of rumpy pumpy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So despite (laughs) the fact that it is destabilizing for him and he's sort of knocked a little bit off center and doesn't quite know how to take it all he's very willing to have a passionate sexual relationship with Mm. Antoinette to begin with yeah and he falls into this kind of exotic love affair with her but that's that whole so this comes back to that whole issue of like femininity and what femininity because there's two versions of femininity really absolutely and so because because Antoinette is not the English virginal English maid he can treat her as as a sexual object absolutely she is ripe for being subject like objectified as a sexual creature and the other thing about that is that and this this is actually something that I'm gonna go slightly off tangent here just briefly because I do a lot of research into Chicana and Mexican-American representations as well and I've been actually delving into this quite a bit recently about how you have this all of the sexual appetites can be played out with your racial other. Yes. Because yes. what that does is it keeps your white virginal, and this is, happens in a lot of oh. like Western films, a lot of films that yeah. play with this idea too, is that it keeps your American. Yep. Um, slash English. Slash English. European. Slash European slash whatever. Yeah. Keeps her pure and yeah. virginal. While yep. um, it's your, the virgin whore complex, it is. While your hero can still play out, can still play out all of his dark like deviant sexual dark fantasies. deviant sexual sexuality, can still be nice and lovely and masculine mm-hmm. um, over here. Yeah, but it doesn't pollute. Doesn't pollute your it. heroine. The problem, which is great. The problem that Rochester has is that he married the other. Correct. Which is what you normally don't do. You don't normally do that. What you do is you sow your seeds with yeah. the other. And then you realize that it was all horrible and wrong and that you shouldn't have done it all along. And you repent. And, and your you wife, repent. And your wife you, take, is, is so perfect that she redeems you that's with correct. her perfection. That's right. So fucking bullshit. Yeah, it is. Oh, it makes me so fucking angry. Yeah, anyway. But anyway. <laughs> um, however, Rochester, he marries yeah. that. But, and, and, well, really, Jane is his purification. Correct. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Absolutely. So what we get in Jane Eyre is we get that story, basically, of him being redeemed yeah. by his white angel. <laughs> what we get in Wide Side SOC is the fallout put mm. for the poor... The poor woman who gets the brunt of his sexual desire and exactly. his projection yep. of his fucking virgin whore yep. complex. We actually get to we actually get this idea that there's another side. That yep. what actually happens is you have a victim on the other side. Yeah. And you never hear the victim story. You never hear the other woman's story. Yeah, that's like right. the woman who's expected to just be that, to be the mistress or to be yep. the And then to disappear. Yeah. Or to die. Yeah, usually it's death. That's how Victorian novels work, death or marriage. Yeah. So brilliant. <laughs> Great. Excellent options. So we get Rochester's voice for this sort of central section where the more he finds Antoinette um, sexually attractive, the more he actually becomes repulsed by her. Yeah. And, and that's it, the virgin whore complex. And that's the virgin because whore complex. Because he fucked up by marrying yeah. the other. So he eventually finds her quite repulsive and he finds the whole world that she embodies repulsive and so he heads on back 
to England, mm-hmm. taking her with him because... Well, that might purify her. That's right. And him in the process. Yeah. And what option does he have? And that's where Jean Reese's story crosses over yeah. with Jane Eyre's story. Because then we're back in Thornfield and we have basically the lead up to the very ending of Jane Eyre. Yeah. So there's a little bit of crossover because obviously the end of White Sack SOC, we know that Jane must be in the house. Yeah. So it's it's kind of gone past most of Jane Eyre and it's meeting up right at the end. Yeah. And we kind of end White Sack SOC with and oh, actually we haven't even pointed out why she's called Bertha by this. Oh point. yeah. So again, this is a, all about that power control kind of thing. That's right. Because Rochester, what Rochester does is he sort of arbitrarily, really, <laughs> just tells her that he's going to call her Bertha. Yeah, now. because he just likes the name. Because he likes the name. And she's, personally, I think Antoinette is oh, a no. far prettier name oh, than Bertha. Sorry, anyone who's named Bertha. Yeah, but, but let's be honest, Antoinette is a better name. Yeah. But mind you, if you're called Bertha now, then like that's a pretty powerful name to have, I would say. Oh yeah, like, it's a pretty yeah. like pretty strong one to be yeah. a Bertha these days, I'd say. But yeah, so he basically renames her, and of course, the symbolism in the renaming yeah. now of who has the dominance and who has the power is pretty pretty, pretty fucking obvious. Pretty obvious. Lots of the symbolism in this book. Let's be honest, it's not subtle. Yeah, it's not subtle. <laughs> um, and yeah, that doesn't mean it's bad, by the way. No, I want to say it doesn't mean it's bad. No. It's actually um, really great. I love it. Yeah. So uh, anyway, he brings her back as as Bertha, and this is where it intercepts. Yep. With with Bronte's version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know. I was wondering if you had a passage to read. Did you keep oh. playing with the book on your lap? I am playing with the book on my lap. Is that what I'm... you had? No, you didn't. No, I didn't. No, that's but fine. But there are so many. There are so many things. I so okay. Read. So let's. So this part where it is. Okay. So we've had Bertha's story. So the reason that we think. Because I guess, I get, so coming back to that question of, is Bertha really insane? That's part of the question that this book attempts to answer. Because she's not, I think, particularly reading White Sack SOC, she's not inherently insane. She wasn't born because she's inherited her insanity. She is made to be insane because of Rochester's treatment of her. Because in that whole, like you said, where he becomes repulsed by her, what he does to her in the meantime, he's fucking the maid... And she can hear them. Mm. Um, So he starts to instead take out all of his sexual kind of, uh, I don't know, desire and frustration or whatever on the maid. Yeah. And Antoinette kind of goes crazy with this idea of like, he seemed like he really loved me. I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Why doesn't he love me? Yeah. And that's a pretty fair enough question. If If he's been really into her and then suddenly he's projecting his desire somewhere else, I think that's a... Fair question. Um, <laughs> Do you? Do you think it's a fair question? I think it's a fair question. <laughs> Why yeah. wouldn't it be? Just I know. Like, I know. It's just like the she doesn't know. It's that a he, fair question. She doesn't know he has a complex. It's, she doesn't. She doesn't know that she's the other. She doesn't know that she's the deviant object of his sexual yeah. fantasies. Like she's just like I. Th- you know, neither of them wanted to be in this marriage, but they've ended up in it, and she's just trying to make the best of it. Yeah, she's trying to be a wife to him, and he won't let her. Yeah, he's just distancing himself from her, and so she's just trying. She goes, you know, she wants. Uh, she tries out a love potion. She tries to seduce him. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I am supposed to be your wife. This is my role. Yeah. So if you've grown up conditioned to believe that this is your purpose in life to be somebody's wife and then you become somebody's wife and they reject you, Mm. that's going to cause you some fucking problems, right? Some some slight distress. The distress, yeah. What else is she going to do if she's not going to be his wife? Well, then there are no answers because that's it. And so we have this like degeneration of her mental state, which is brought on by the stress of her marriage kind of falling apart and her not understanding why Rochester is repulsed by her. And she's also, he does, yeah, he finds her repulsive in her sort of, he he talks about her having full lips and he kind of, you know, it's this kind of idea of all of her lusciousness Mm. that he eventually finds disgusting. Yeah. But is in Jane Eyre, Jane is described to us as so plain, so simple. And he makes... Rochester makes this great, oh, fantastic comparison in Jane Eyre where he basically, when he's showing Bertha to everyone after Mm. the wedding and he kind of says, well, you know, could you not understand? 
after this, how I could then want this, yeah. pointing to Jane and her plainness and her simpleness, sort of like, yeah. could you begrudge me wanting such a plain, simple, boring woman after that? Yeah, I, I imagine... And Jane isn't even offended by that? No, she's not. Because I think that this is that whole fucked up concept of like what you know you're expected to be as a Victorian woman. Yeah. I mean, Jane, I I think that we're doing a little bit of disservice to Jane. We're making her seem much more simple and much more kind of like pure and virginal and like angelic than she is. She's a very complex, nuanced character and I love her. But she's just not the subject of our conversation today. <laughs> we know. Well, no. We maybe one day we can do Jane, but that's not today. Bertha's more interesting. But anyway, because the, the, the thing about Bertha is you're understanding why she went insane is that she's stripped of all her power. She had a lot of independence really kind of growing up mm. in her context. She did have a lot, a lot of independence. And then that's taken away from her Rochester takes her to this strange, foreign, cold, dismal, rainy, bleak place. And it's a place that she doesn't even believe in for a long time. Oh, yeah. She makes these great comments about how she's never seen it, so she can't even – why would she even believe it's a place? Totally subverts that kind of European idea of the mythological, like, paradise that is the West Indies, you know, completely subverts that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's so great. (laughs) But she, she's opposite to Jane in a lot of ways, obviously, that we've touched on. But another part of that sort of angel monster um, idea is that Jane is very religious and very pious mm. um, throughout Jane Eyre. Whereas Bertha, even though she spends time in a convent, she doesn't really believe in God. There's, no, there's a, not really um, overtly. No, and actually Rochester asks her at one point whether or not she believes in, in God and she kind of responds with, it doesn't matter what I believe or you believe because we can do nothing about it. We are like these. She flicked a dead moth off the table. So she kind of already doesn't she, – she overtly kind of mentions that God doesn't matter in her yeah. context. Yeah. Like whether it is or isn't is sort of unrelated. Yeah. Um, whereas, of course – Jane relies on her faith. Oh, so much. Yeah, she, I mean, constantly throughout the book, she's quoting, she's thinking of passages and, yeah. Absolutely. And it's also strength for her. There's a lot of biblical images that come back um, again and again and again. Whereas Bertha, as well as sort of not having much of a belief in, oh, sorry, Antoinette, I should say, as well as not really having a belief in God, she's very much taken up with Christophine, who Mm -hmm. is her childhood nanny, basically, um, who practices Obea, which is like, or Obea, which is the, the sort of the, the local witchcraft. Yeah, it is. It's sort of got like, it's, it's got this kind of voodoo feel. It's like an amalgamation of traditional magic and kind of, yeah. Mixed up, yeah, mixed up with sort of, yeah, local beliefs as well. So this this adds a sort of an element of demonicness to her in Rochester's Rochester's eyes. In his worldview is that makes her even more sort of repulsive Mm -hmm. and demonic and it makes someone like Jane even more attractive. And she's also really associated even with the colour red. Absolutely. Like the red, she has this red dress and, of course, red is so associated with... Hell, fire, yeah, fire and the devil and sexuality. So she is that. And Jane is constantly, again, we're not really talking about Jane, but Jane is constantly giving us white or grey. What's so grey? She's so bland. She's so bland. (laughs) How could you not love her in her absolute blandness? (laughs) Um, Because what I was thinking of, because, again, I want to talk about this whole, yeah, the why is she insane? You know, yeah, she's, we keep because we she becomes a monster. Around that, but not she becomes that. a monster, but she wasn't. I think the, it's a it's just a Frankenstein myth, right? She's yeah. Frankenstein's monster, and Rochester is Frankenstein. He's the real monster. He created the monster. Yeah, you know, he fucking locked her in an attic for how many years? Many. You know, like she starts because this is the thing about her being fiery and being passionate and rebellious is that. She's angry mm. with his treatment of her and her anger becomes a symbol of insanity. And this is something – so coming back to Jane Eyre, he – Rochester kind of – he justifies locking her up 
for being for her own good because he didn't want to send her to an asylum. I think it's important to keep in mind what the Victorian ideas of insanity like actually were because there was such there was such an element of sexual difference in ter- like regarding insanity. Mm. So, I mean, in the period if you were a woman who acted subversive in any particular way if you were deviant disobedient rebellious openly sexual anything you were seen as being insane of having hysteria because your womb was literally not in the right place it was wandering about you had a wandering womb and that was the the thing that made you act out you were no longer able to be feminine because your womb was acting out i know it's fucked. Yeah, my, womb. <laughs> my womb acts out all the time. So, but yeah, because that basically that means that anything that you do that subverts this idea of passive, and we talked about this with Florence Cook about this idea of acceptable femininity. Yeah. Anything that you did that subverted that was seen as a symptom of hysteria mm. and insanity. Yeah. And so as soon as Antoinette begins to become angry and resentful as she naturally would at his treatment of her, she's showing the symptoms of insanity and having a mother who was insane and a younger brother who was mentally disabled, they kind of contribute to this diagnosis. And suddenly she's not an angry woman. She's not justifiably upset. She's just insane. She's just purely insane. Lock Lock her her in the fucking attic. And that's horrible. That's torture. He says that he's like, oh, have you seen the conditions of like asylums? It's for her own good. But really, that's a bunch of bullshit because Rochester could definitely afford a private asylum. And during this period, there was major like reforms in psychiatric care. Like the, the, the whole idea of like lunatics being kept in like straitjackets and their treatment being tantamount to torture that's not really synonymous with this particular period either side of this period yes but not this particular period this is where they were starting to introduce a lot more therapeutic care and they had big particularly private asylums were often on big spacious grounds where they had parks and lakes and they could go for walks they had balls and dances in the asylums they had like visit they had people visit them all the time they would go on excursions like it You're wasn't, making it sound lovely. It Lauren. does sound lovely. So I mean, cause, and, and I, you know, I did a lot of research into Victorian asylums for my research that I did for yeah. my PhD. Correct. And yeah, in this period, like yeah, of course there were shitty asylums, but this is the period of major overhaul of the mental health mm-hmm. system. And at least there as well, you're actually getting treatment. Yeah, instead of being looked after by an alcoholic servant. Yay! <laughs> Don't not Grace Poole. She's great. So um. Yeah, I I mean, that's all I really wanted to say is that I think that that's why she's insane. It's not because she was made insane. That's my point. I'm rambling now. (laughs) That's all right. So in the end, what what recourse is there for, 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 for poor Bertha? So we've talked about the inevitable sort of options that there are for women of this period. Marriage. Death. Death. Marriage, death. Well, which one does Bertha choose? Well... This is significant, actually. And this might be a good ending discussion point. Marriage wasn't her choice. No. But maybe death. I think death is her choice. And, yeah, I think it's a problematic choice to have a protagonist choose to die now because we like to subvert this death or marriage ending. But at the time, I think death is actually quite a progressive end. She's choosing her death. She's choosing the way that she, you know. So this, but this is, um, okay, so she's choosing it, sure. But in Jane Eyre, the question of whether or not it's a choice mm, is different. That's to true. Why so I guess I see. So in Jane Eyre, while Jane has been off away from Thornfield, finding herself and all sorts of stuff, Bertha has set fire to Thornfield. She's mm-hmm. gotten out of the attic. Um, because when drunken Grace Poole is drunk and um, not, paying attention. not paying attention, she steals the keys and she can go wandering about the house and she sets fire to Thornfield and burns it to the ground. Rochester, in some strange display of heroism, which just <laughs> makes no sense. It's completely out of character. Yeah. Uh, runs back into the house and up and t- up to the top floor of the house to try and save Bertha. Mm. But she's already on the roof and she jumps 
Yeah. Or falls. Or is pushed. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, see, that's mm. it, isn't it? Nobody ever talks about that. No. Um, she is still the thing standing in Rochester's way of happiness. That's right. So either way, she falls from the roof of Thornfield and dies and clears the way for Jane's eventual marriage to Rochester. Yeah. So whether or not that's actually a choice in Jane Eyre, it's how she dies Yeah. anyway. In White Snake, as we see, we get a bit more of an insight into the actual events that lead up to that. Yeah, which I think is like, I I mean, that's one of my favourite scenes in this book is her dream at the end that she has where she, you know, she dreams about walking the halls and like getting the candle, I think. Is that yeah. Right? And so, yeah. And yeah. about seeing um, her own reflection and yeah. Uh, yeah and about knowing what she has to I do. I know what I had to do. I think that's what she actually says, isn't it? I knew what I had to do. Exactly. Which gives us much more of a sense that there's an actual choice, yeah. um, an agency here that's made in setting fire to Thornfield mm. and when she runs to the roof and looks out across the flames she sort of sees her childhood um, yeah. she sees a childhood friend and that's what compels her to jump from the roof yeah so it is actually a choice there in how she ends her life yep whereas I don't know I, I I'm gonna just say that Rochester pushed her <laughs> I mean yeah he's a bit of a douche so. he'd push her he'd so push her he won't even acknowledge that Adela is his natural child, so he probably would. Oh, there's a whole nother that's another that's story. That's a whole nother story, Adele. His Rochester's um, treatment of women. Actually, an amazing thing about Adele, and this kind of just is a small sideline I'd like to make about a future deviant woman that we might talk about. There is a fabulous author that we're going to talk about one of these days. And before this particular author's death, she started writing a novel that was about Adele. Really? Yeah. I don't know, even know, you know who know, you're talking about. Uh, no. I you don't know, know who you're talking about? No. All right. Well, we'll wait. We'll wait until we talk about her, until we talk about this particular author. Um, but yes, she had actually started writing, I suppose, what could be considered the sort of the granddaughter of oh, Wide Sargasso Sea, I guess. I want, I've got some... I've got some authors in mind that it could be, All right. but I'll save it. We'll, we'll have, save it. Maybe we'll this to... is Maybe this is a place to... To wrap up. I reckon that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So thanks for joining us as we discussed one of our favourite fictional deviant women this week. There's so much more to say about her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We barely scraped the I surface know. of Maybe Dear we'll Old come back to her. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back to her in this So again, we should, we should just note that we're not experts. We're just like, we're just enthusiastic. Yeah, we're enthusiast fans. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we hope you're enthusiasts. Yeah, and we welcome any differing opinions. That's right. If anyone wants to check, uh, check out our website, deviantwomenpodcast.com. Yeah. Um, leave a comment. If Politely you... worded comments. Yeah. And remember that this is a discussion, as a dialogue. There's, I, I, as I said to my students, there's no right or wrong answers, except that, of course, that there sometimes are wrong answers. Yeah, right? like, it's really like... horribly wrong answers. <laughs> but that's fine. If you've got evidence-based... That's right discussion material then we want to hear it so right so thanks so we hope that if you haven't read Jane Eyre or White Sack SOC that you go out and do so immediately and look we have talked about a few things but we haven't spoiled them really I mean there's so much I mean I don't think you can spoil White Sack SOC because we all know how it's going to end we basically really haven't even scratched the surface of either of these books there's so much so go for it go for it and learn all about Bertha yay Yay. Antoinette. Hey, we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you next time.